Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah, is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah, this is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These. This is our Olympics episode, and more specifically, our Olympics gymnastics episode, and even more specifically, our fangirling Simone Biles episode. And I have to say, if you do not know who Simone Biles is, I would like you to pause the podcast, go over to YouTube, look at some videos, and come back. All right, now we're all on the same page. All of these topics fit squarely into the wheelhouse of With Friends Like These, because the first two... Olympics and gymnastics are, um, let's say, problematic faves. And because Simone Biles epitomizes a lot of what I want this show to be, empowering and joyful, thought-provoking, meaningful. I'll be talking to Alyssa Ronig from ESPN Magazine about all of these topics. I do want to give you a quick content warning because we do discuss the Larry Nasser sexual abuse scandal. And if that's something you don't want to hear right now, I hope you come back some other time. Because in the end, what this particular episode is about is about reclaiming your power and expressing the joy you feel to the world. Alyssa Ronick talking about Simone Biles and other things coming right up. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. We are not speaking to you from Tokyo, although you are covering the Olympics. That's the first weird thing about the Olympics this year, right? It is. And it's, it is weird for me personally. This would have been my eighth Olympics and I am covering it from home in California. and. As a company, we made decisions around how many people we would send. And, and personally, I made a decision that I did not want to travel to Tokyo. And it was a really tough decision to make, but I am happy with the decision. Let's talk a little bit about how this particular Olympics is so different, right? I guess, first of all, there's the pandemic, which is what the reason you're not there. It was... Delayed slash canceled. Now it's back on. But there's some continuing controversy about whether or not it should be happening. Yes, and certainly within Japan. You know, all mm-hmm. of the reporting coming out of Japan is that the people, the locals, especially in Tokyo, are terrified of this Olympics. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been closed off to the world for most of the past year and a half. They have been largely safe. Uh, they're number of deaths is far below what we experienced here in the U.S. And now they're opening up to tens of thousands of athletes and support staff to come into Tokyo and all that brings with it. 
And I think the people of Japan don't understand why the IOC is going ahead with the event. And at the same time, I think they they know why. I was going to say, I have an answer. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I think they, they know why, but right. they still want their voices to be heard. And there's a, uh, Tim Kewen from ESPN wrote a great piece uh, I just read this morning and, and, and about, that was based on local reporting. And, you know, for the people of Japan and, and to stand up and, and speak out so publicly about a, a, an event that is historically filled with so much national pride says a lot about how they feel about these games. And I just want to go a little bit into the specifics of why this is such a problem. Uh, first of all, as you said, it had a pretty low uh, COVID fatality rate among nations, and that's now at risk. But the thing that I had not thought about is the number of healthcare workers that they have and that they might need. And that's what this influx of people and potentially like super spreading events that will stress their system. It's not just like, oh, we might have more COVID. It's the number of healthcare workers you might need should this go super. And then I wonder if you agree, this seems to me just a hyperbolic expression of the problem with the Olympics in general. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think, you know, we we know there are issues from the, you know, it, if I look back at Rio and the displacement of people mm-hmm. to build venues, you look back at Beijing and the displacement of people to build venues, you look at these massive, expensive venues that are left largely unused for most of the time afterwards. There's a few Olympic venues that have, and cities that have done it right, but the cost on the organizing committee and the organizing city tends to never be outweighed by the benefit and by the money that comes into into the city um, that they are promised when they agree to the Olympics. So I do think that this year is everything that is wrong with the Olympic model, like you said, just magnified by 100 because of the pandemic. Yeah, the numbers behind the Olympics are really astonishing. The amount of money they make for certain people, including the IOC, right? Which I I read one article that said the IOC is the most corrupt uh, sports organization on the planet, and that's including FIFA, which... I found (laughs) pretty jaw-dropping. So it makes a ton of money for them and for the broadcasters. And then you're right. like It leaves the cities, the host cities, millions of dollars in debt. And sometimes um, with also the legacy of a lot of human rights abuse or exploitation. So this is the Olympics, probably the Olympics magnified. And yet, are you excited to watch them? (laughs) (laughs) way to set me up there, Anna. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's a part of your brain, I think as a sports fan that wishes you could divorce the competition from all that's going on around it and just be in awe of the incredible athletes and what they're about to do. It is not possible. It's no different from watching the NFL or any sport where you know there are bigger issues at play beyond 
the sport you're watching. All of that said, I guarantee you that when the U.S. women's gymnastics team takes to the floor for the first time on Saturday, I will be both watching as a journalist and as a mega fan of these women. So that nationalism piece that we both feel, right, admittedly, is thrilling, but it's not exactly an argument for the games. What is an argument for them? If we could be in a perfect world and and maybe redraw and reimagine the Olympics, certainly anytime you can take sports and bring together the best in the world at any sport there is, and it's also, it's an incredible platform for smaller sports. Mm-hmm. You know, here in the United States, we're different from a lot of countries in that we have just a massive platter of sports that we can watch any day. And at the same time, we have an incredible number of brilliant athletes who do not receive support, do not make the kind of money the big four athletes do, are not name recognized. You know, they could be, you know, I often say some of the sports I cover you know, the biggest sport, the biggest name in the sport could be in your living room and you would just ask them to get off your couch because you <laughs> don't know who he or she is. And so the Olympics takes those athletes and elevates them on a world stage. And it also, in many countries, creates funding around those sports. When softball comes back into the Olympics, as it did now in 2021, money will flow into that sport. Skateboarding and surfing and freestyle BMX and sport climbing made their day or making their debut in Tokyo. Money will flow into those sports in countries that perhaps never supported them. And so I think that is a real purist argument for the Olympics, but taking, you know, quote unquote, amateurism, amateur athletes and, and putting them on a world stage and and creating support and funding and fans around them is probably the purest argument for having an Olympics. Because you're right. The sports that you wind up watching, if you're an insomniac, I guess, at this point, um, I'm always, I forget about and then am fascinated by the trampoline gymnastics. <laughs> As you should it's be. A, As you should it's be. It's a thing. <laughs> When they run it, ran out onto the floor, they, they had the rhythmic, I know rhythmic gymnastics exists. For some reason, that sticks in my mind. But when they announced the gymnastics team for the U.S. this year, it included the rhythmic gymnasts and the trampoline gymnasts. And I was kind of like, right on. You get out there with Simone. You get out there and throw up your arms. <laughs> Right. Well, and it, you know, those athletes typically make the, you know, we have them on the Olympic teams previously, but something that was different this year being at trials in St. Louis was that they, all of their trials were in the same place. So when the teams were named, all of those athletes, men and women were all in St. Louis and able to come out onto the floor together. So, and, and those of us covering it, maybe if we wouldn't have covered those other events were able to go into the other arenas and, and, and watch them compete and, and be there to cover those events as well. Let's take a quick break. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Sakara. 
What are you doing if you don't take every opportunity you have to take pleasure in something? Like, I've always been a grazer when it comes to eating, and I'm trying to change that because eating is a time to enjoy something. And that's why I've been loving Sakara and their meal plan. I'm no longer just grabbing something for lunch. I'm having something that looks, feels, and tastes like it's worth my time to sit down and enjoy. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and are designed to minimize your sugar cravings, boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. Sakara's chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners are backed with cutting-edge nutrition science to boost your health and stoke your glow. It's all delivered fresh to your door anywhere in the U.S. Along with delicious, plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials. Their best-selling Super Powder and Super Bar take the edge off your sugar cravings. You'll feel genuinely nourished and energized, and there won't be a crash later. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, the New York Times, and more. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash friends or enter code friends at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash friends to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper, shampoo to pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. I have personally restocked on their bath gel and body lotion. I use them almost every day myself, and that's what's in my guest bathroom. And I have had guests. And the public good stuff is perfect for a guest bathroom because it smells good and clean, but not perfumey. It doesn't overwhelm a visitor with what I think they should smell like. It just smells good. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is important. Small changes in the way we shop can make a big impact on our personal health and the world at large. Public Goods uses a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. We've worked out an awesome new deal for With Friends Like These listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again. They are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. Plus, right now, receive your choice of either a free pack of bamboo straws or reusable food storage wraps with your order. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash friends or use code friends at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com slash friends to receive $15 off your first order. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Pandora. Save 20% at TommyJohn.com slash Pandora. See site for details. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. 
Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. And now I want to get to the real reason I have you here, which is to talk about gymnastics. Like every American, I develop a quadrennial obsession, although it's a little, it peaks up a little bit here and there between Olympics. Uh, You've been covering gymnastics for a while, yes? I have, yes. I started at ESPN around 2003 and... My first first summer Olympics that I covered was 2008, but I started covering the sport a few years before that for the magazine. Did you bring an existing interest to it? Oh, yes. Yes. I, (laughs) you know, I like millions and millions and millions of kids in in the U.S. uh, grew up doing gymnastics and, you know, was glued to my television every, you know, four years. And then when we started to, you know, have world championships and different things, access to those watching them. And, you know, I can, I remember, you know, watching, I, you know, I remember being, gosh, I must've been three. And Mm. I, I remember Mary Lou on the, on the podium stand. I remember that vault. So yes, I brought a, a real fandom of, of gymnastics and the Olympics in general and a lot of Olympic sports and, you know, went to editors and said, this is something I really want to cover. And, you know, I'm fortunate to work somewhere where the answer tends to be yes when you ask those questions. It's changed a lot since you've started covering it, it seems. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, to put it mildly in in so many ways, this the sport has changed and, and the way we cover it has changed. How has it changed? since you started covering it? Well, in two ways. On the sports side of things, I, you know, that 2008 Olympics was right when the International Gymnastics Federation switched from the 10-point perfect 10 scale of judging to this open-ended style of judging that really rewards difficulty. And what we've seen in the past now 13 years since that shift is because difficulty is so greatly rewarded and because it takes experience and strength and time to learn and perfect the kind of skills that Simone Biles, Asuni Lee, these great gymnasts are doing, we're seeing longer careers, we're seeing older gymnasts, we're seeing different body types, strong, muscular, able to take the pounding body types. And so the sport itself has really changed in those, in those years. And then certainly because of 2016 and all that has happened since it and the Larry Nasser scandal, the way we cover it, the way we ask questions, the way, you know, the athletes have become empowered and begun using the voices that we know they always had but they were fearful of using, mm-hmm. unconfident in their own voices, that has that has changed as well. I also did gymnastics as a kid. I remember Mary Lou. Uh, I remember Thunder Thighs. That's what they called her. 
that gave me hope because <laughs> I'm a little on the square side. Um, and then I wound up having breasts and hips. So had to, had, my future was not in gymnastics. You were just ahead of your time. Uh, yes. And I also, so I followed it kind of from the person of, of a kind of wishful thinking, but also someone who I think understands a little bit what it takes. So I remember Little Girls in Pretty Boxes coming out 1995. Five. And it was a big deal. It was about uh, gymnastics and figure skating, and it uncovered eating disorders, uh, overprescription of painkillers, abusive coaching. But that didn't seem to move the needle that much. Like anyone who's been paying attention to the sport knows that those undercurrents were there, right? Yeah. I mean, Joan Ryan, who who wrote Little Girls in Pretty Boxes, would, you know, would say it's, it's shocking looking back. And now, of course, we all cite that book and talk about that book. I remember it coming out. I was in high school. I remember reading that book. And you're right. It it did not move the needle. You know, USA Gymnastics deflected any question about it. They denied um, any attempts to investigate further the claims. You know, they 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 did from the outside. It sure seemed they did not take it seriously. And from you know, from my reporting on the inside, they not only did not take it seriously, they tried to squash Jones reporting. Mm -hmm. And the next summer you had the Magnificent Seven and the greatest team and to that point in the history of American gymnastics. And suddenly, you know, as we've learned over and over again, those cheers drowned out all of the questions and complaints and feelings you have about all of the negative sides of the sport. And, and I do think that's what happened is even journalists who read that book and coaches and parents, they just looked the other way. I mean, it's now in hindsight, it is hard to understand why there was not more of a reaction. And I think, you know, now one of the reasons I believe there wasn't more of a reaction to that book was because it, it was easy for those with inside the sport to dismiss Joan as an outsider who just didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And that's why it took Dominique Moshianu and her book, why it took the gymnasts themselves in 2016 to finally say, you can't dismiss us anymore. This is coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's largely what happened with Joan's book. And, 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 you know, I interviewed Joan last year for, for a project and, she said the day the Nasser story broke, she, you know, she broke down because she just thought, you know, I, what, you know, what more could I have done? Why weren't, was no one listening back then? And you did a ton of reporting on the culture of gymnastics, the culture of elite gymnastics for a podcast series that came out. I suppose it was timed to the 2020 Olympics, <laughs> but everyone should go listen to it now heavy metals. And you documented that culture that's so pervasive, the gymnasts themselves 
bought into it. Yeah, I mean, so the term bought into it is so interesting, right? Because there's there's sort of I want to give them agency a little bit so that they have sorry. You can just talk. Just come. No, no I mean, you the reason it's so interesting is because yes, there is agency in them choosing to buy into the culture. But there's sort of two things at play. One is that they don't know there's another option. So what they are buying into is their dream of being the greatest. And, you know, if anyone's ever met a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl with a dream, she is fierce and unstoppable and coaches play on that. They know that. And, and the other part of it is that they are being constantly gaslit. Mm -hmm. They are being told you're fat when they're hungry and you're lazy when they're exhausted and your foot doesn't hurt when it's broken. And so they stop having the ability to trust, to trust their own experience and worldview and what they believe is happening to them. And so all of that results in, yes, them becoming good soldiers who do what they are told and ask no questions because they believe that is the only way to get to their goal, which is to become an Olympic gymnast. And I have a few questions about the, the culture changing. I think it's interesting that these systemic changes happened sort of alongside that. The age of gymnasts kind of rising a little bit, the kind of body that's acceptable and gymnastics changing a little bit. Is that another reason why? I mean, I guess I'm just looking for like what it took, like what was, what made it possible for people, these young women to start speaking out? Did it just take one really brave person? It took a handful of really brave women because, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know what we don't know, right? It's hard to, it's hard to project what would have happened had the Larry Nasser scandal not broke in 2016. Mm -hmm. Would we still be in the same place we were five years ago? Would he still be abusing young women? Would the gymnasts we interact with still be closed off and uh, you know unwilling and fearful of speaking their minds it's very possible when that story broke because of fearlessness and and that's probably not even the right word because there was a ton of fear around what would happen to them by women like Jamie Dancher and Rachel Den Hollander and Maggie Nichols once you know, it was one and then it was two and then it was 51 and then it was 200. And as the numbers grew and these women realized, well, if I, if I know this, if I knew this thing was happening to me, but I believed I was, I was wrong about it in my own mind or no one would believe me or I wouldn't have support. And all of these other women are experiencing the same thing. Well, what other things are we experiencing together? What other shared experiences do we have and as they spoke out and they received such incredible support, including at his hearing, at Nasser's hearing, when they all had the opportunity to stand up and speak out 
and, and, you know, and speak their truths. That really was the moment that changed everything. And that all came from the athletes. And, and one voice supported another voice, magnified another voice. And, and as they each spoke out, it gave permission and support to the others to do the same. And I think that moment is what changed the culture of the sport. And, and it has a long way to go, but that, that's the moment. I, of course, have been reading a lot about Simone Biles in preparation for my ecstatic two weeks of, you know, obsession with, with, with gymnastics. And it occurred to me, I almost feel weird talking about her because she's so talked about, like, there are other amazing gymnasts, but the more I read about her, the more I thought she epitomizes a little, she epitomizes some of these changes on a few different levels, not just the body type, not just the age. Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, to what we were just speaking about using your voice, Simone in 2016 was already the most famous gymnast maybe ever, certainly in the world, one of the biggest names in in all of sports. But she did not yet realize the power she had, the voice that she had, you know, that, that gaslighting goes a real, (laughs) it's, it, it, it's, uh, it goes pretty deep. And so she talks Mm -hmm. about the fact that, you know, yes, on paper, she could read a story about who Simone Biles was and, and how important she was, but to actually believe it was another thing. And if you remember in 2018, she first tweeted right before Larry Nassar's hearing, once she realized she too had been abused by him and was a survivor, she, she tweeted this out. And as part of her tweet, she said, I can't believe as I plan my return to the gym to attempt to make my second Olympic team that I will have to return to the place where I was abused for years, referring to the Caroli Ranch in Houston. And there had been calls to shut down the ranch. USA Gymnastics was planning to buy it. That was going to be their legacy. And this was going to continue to be the training facility for generations to come. And they cut ties the next day. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she realized in that moment and everyone realized, wow, you know, she, she has a, a powerful voice and she wields it with responsibility. But she knows that when she tweets something whether it is about a new president who, you know, Mary Bono was hired as USA Gymnastics president and she tweeted out um, a photo of her scratching out her Nike logo on her shoes after Colin Kaepernick was picked up by Nike and Simone tweeted out, oh, it's not like we needed a better president or more sponsors and <laughs> Bono was gone four days later. I mean, there there was a series of these kind of events where she realized I... I have a voice. I by using it, I give all of these other gymnasts permission to use their voices. And she has, I mean, she has created such change. E- even, you know, as small things. I, I remember working on the podcast and having a gymnast from the 88 team say she remembers the day she first saw Simone Biles tweet a photo of pizza. <laughs> and she texted all of, you know, her friends from, you know, the 80s and said, oh my gosh, can you imagine we live in a world now 
where a gymnast feels comfortable telling the world she eats pizza or showing a picture of herself on vacation because of course you're on, when you're not in the gym you're supposed to be sleeping or a picture of her in a bikini or with her boyfriend and as small as that was by showing her life and the real side of her life it gave all of these other women permission to do the same and i think also the other thing that it did was you, re, you if everything simone does is authentic then when she is tweeting about social justice, when she is tre- tweeting about um, the foster care system, it, it makes those tweets and, and those statements equally authentic. Let's take another quick break. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Magic Spoon. I was listening to another podcast the other day, and they were talking about how you stop eating cereal as an adult or you just have a craving for a bowl at some point, but you never finish the box. My friends, they are thinking about cereal all wrong. They should think about Magic Spoon, which satisfies a craving for sugary cereals, but you don't have to think of as a treat. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's only 140 calories, if you care about that sort of thing. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. You can build your own box or get a variety pack with available flavors, cocoa, fruited, frosty, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. I'm in favor of mixing and matching all of these flavors. The one you may not think about is fruity and frosted, which is sort of like a pie flavor for me. Go to magicspoon.com slash WFLT to grab your delicious cereal and try it today. And be sure to use the promo code WFLT at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash WFLT and use code WFLT to save $5. And thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Credit Karma. Starting something new can be nerve-wracking. Wouldn't you like to know beforehand whether it's going to work out or not? Credit Karma can give you more confidence before you make a decision. Credit Karma's game-changing technology shows you tailored offers for credit cards and personal loans that you're more likely to be approved for, so you can apply with more confidence. They use your credit and other financial information to show you custom recommendations. Whether you want cash back, travel rewards, or to consolidate debt, Credit Karma can help you find offers that fit your personal goals. With a selection of options and approval odds, you have the power to make an informed decision. Credit Karma, apply with confidence. Go to creditkarma.com slash podcast to learn more and find offers tailored just for you. That's creditkarma.com slash podcast, or you can see your offers on the Credit Karma app. Apply with confidence today. Go to creditkarma.com slash podcast or the Credit Karma app. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Monk Pack. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation, and that's because most of them don't taste very good. They don't fill you up and they don't satisfy your cravings. Well, this episode is sponsored by Monk Pack, who makes snacks that taste great, but only have a gram of sugar or less. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars contain just one gram of sugar and two to three grams of net carbs. They're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, and non-GMO with no soy, trans fat, sugar alcohols, or artificial colors. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle, but... Maybe you just want to make sure you're getting enough protein and not too many carbs. Monk Pack has you covered. 
Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have a soft and chewy texture, and they come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter, and blueberry almond vanilla. You may have tried other low-sugar bars. They often amp up the artificial sweetener, not Monk Bar. Monk Bars taste like the ingredients that are in them. Chocolate, coconuts, almonds, vanilla, etc. You'll forget they're keto. They're just tasty and filling. And you're going to want to stay fully stocked. So you can subscribe to get regular refills on your favorite flavors. It will save you 10% on every order. Try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for our listeners as well. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code WFLT at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it is also backed by 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product and then enter the code WFLT at Check out for 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. I feel like you should never settle just because you're winning or you're at the top. I feel like you should always push yourself. Someone last week, I think it was last week, you tweeted after the congressional report came out about being continuing, mm-hmm. continuing to be disappointed. Yes. Um, how? What are your feelings about that specifically, mm-hmm. and why is it so important for you to continue using your yeah. voice on this? I think it's important because we have a platform, and I think when we tweet, it obviously goes a long way. So we're blessed to be given a platform so that people will hear and listen, but. You know, it's not easy coming back to the sport, coming back to the organization that has failed you. Um, But, you know, at this point, I just try to think I'm here as a professional athlete with my club team and stuff like that because it's not easy being out here because I feel like every day is a reminder of what I went through and what I've been through and what I'm going through and how how I've come out of it. But, you know, I try just not to think about it, Um, but it is hard. But once you see that... Like, the FBI even was on it, and he, like, drank with Steve Penny and stuff. It's like, did you guys really not like us that much that you couldn't just do your job? And at the end of the day, it's really sad for us because it becomes a problem whenever we work with future people. How can we trust them? They bring in new people all the time, and I automatically put my foot up because the people that I had known for years had failed us so it's hard for them to bring anyone up to us I don't know it's hard to talk about it's really hard to talk about I just feel like I don't know I don't mean to cry but it's just it's hard coming here for an organization and having had them failed us so many times and we we had won gold. We've done everything that they asked us for, even when we didn't want to. And they couldn't do one damn job. You had one job. You literally had one job, and you couldn't protect us. And it's just really sad because now every time I go to the doctor or training, I get worked on. It's like, I don't want to get worked on. But my body hurts. I'm 22. And at the end of the day, that's my fifth rotation, and I have to go do therapy. But it's just hard, and we try to work through it, but... It'll take some time. I'm strong. I'll get through it, but it's hard. I want to talk about Simone some more. (laughs) Talk about Simone all day long. I have had the experience of trying to tell someone how good she is. And it's hard to explain to someone who doesn't follow at all. I'm like, she's the greatest athlete that's ever existed. 
I, I think that you can really make that argument. She dominates her sport in a way that Michael Jordan, nope, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, whoever you want to think about, doesn't dominate like she does. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and give you a good cheat sheet for around the water cooler. I always try to think <laughs> of, you know, if you're sitting at the bar next to someone and they happen to be an expert, what are a few pieces of, or some gems you can throw out? So I think the first thing I would say is there has, there has been a, a belief for the past about 50 years, and, and because it hasn't happened, that the reigning world champion cannot stay good enough to, you know, you, you sort of peak, you have your year, maybe your two years, but the reigning world champion does not then back it up by winning Olympic gold. And that theory is held up by the fact that we haven't seen that in more than 50 years. So in 2013, Simone Biles won her first world championship medal, gold medal. She has won everyone she's competed in since. She is the defending Olympic all-around gold medalist. And so she will go into, she goes into these Olympics as the seven-time world champion. She didn't compete in 2018. um, And so Morgan Hurd from the United States is the 2018 world champion. She's the only world champion not named Simone Biles since the last, since the 2012 Olympics (laughs) in London. And so that idea that you have this window of a year maybe two years to be great has been shattered by the fact that Simone Biles has not lost an all around competition in any meet she has competed in, in nearly a decade. She fell twice in the Olympic trials, which was gasps everywhere. I almost want to talk just about her reaction to that too, which, which is another kind of change in the sport. She, she got emotional and her coach came over and kind of just, how are you doing? You know, and it was so significant. The commentators commented on that, like seeing the change. Yeah, I wish I, I I was there. So I wasn't able to hear what they were saying. But what I imagine they were talking about, you know, I remember an interview with Jordan Weber, who was the defending world champion at in London and was part of that gold medal winning team now as the head coach at Arkansas, would say when when you were overcome with emotion, no matter what that emotion was, her coach would look at her and say, fix your face. Mm. And, and that would mean show no emotion, become a robot, suck it up, swallow it. You are a gymnast. You're performing right now. The world does not need to know what's going on inside of your mind. And, and, and Simone is very much by her coaches. And I think most of the women now encouraged to be a human being and and feel whatever you are feeling. And it's okay if the world sees you cry. It is very unusual to see Simone cry. Even the people in her life say it is not something you see often. But, you know, she was so far ahead of the rest of the field. Those tears were not about her potentially not winning the meet. There was very little possibility of that happening. Her routines are so far more difficult than the rest of the world that she can fall and, and still win meets. But she she was disappointed in herself because she didn't do the best she knew she could do. And she also knows that all those folks in the stands were there largely to watch her, watch her possibly compete for the last time in the United States. And she felt like she had let them down. Mm-hmm. And she said afterwards, that's what the tears were really about. 
Yes. And we went to the cul-de-sac of her reaction, but the buried lead here is she still fucking won. (laughs) (laughs) And when I say she fell, she fell, 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 like on the ground. It wasn't like a wobble, (laughs) but you're right. Her degree of difficulty is just so much higher than everyone else's when she doesn't complete something very difficult. It just doesn't count as much against her. You know, she competes routines. Another thing for the water cooler when you're making this argument, it is a, it is a monumental deal in the sport of gymnastics to have a skill bear your name in the point of, in the point of code of points. And that what that means is you are the first woman in women's gymnastics. You're the first woman to compete this skill in an international meet. So either you came up with the idea for the skill, or maybe it's something that had been competed in the, in the men's side of the sport, but you were the first woman to do this skill in an international meet. After Tokyo, where she's planning to compete a vault that no one has competed before. And she did it last night in podium training and it was phenomenal. She will have five skills that bear her name. So when you watch her during a meet, she is not just, you know, doing difficult skills. She's doing, you know, when the, when the announcers, you know, she does her two floor passes, they're like, Oh, she just into a Biles. Okay. Into the Biles too. (laughs) Um, She's that far ahead of the rest of the field. Would you describe just one of those Bileses? Well, the one she's about to do in Tokyo that she's never done before. So quickly, she has a double-double dismount off vault. Or sorry. So quickly, she has a double-double dismount off beam. And her coach, Cecile Landy, told me when she was competing, she competed for France in 96. That wasn't even done on floor. It was unthinkable to do it off beam. She has... uh, two layouts with a half twist at the end on floor. She has, which is beautiful. She has a triple double on floor, which is two flips and three spins. So three, three sixty degree turns. Mm-hmm. I, I want to just pause on that. Just to, let's just, let's just think through what that, what that move is. So for people that may not have seen this, I want to give it somehow give an oral description that will do justice to how amazing these moves are. So we don't just tell people go to YouTube. So she does a floor pass, round off back handspring. I don't know how many she does take any momentum. Then she does it back. She launches into the air. And what happens? Well, the first thing that happens is out of what is considered the best handspring in the history of the sport, (laughs) (laughs) which gains her so much forward momentum and so much speed and so much power she gets so high into the air, you know, it's, it's so much fun to watch the men's men's meet before hers because she's getting higher than most of the men. And then that allows her the time to perform two backflips. And on that first backflip, she's spinning twice. So two full rotations and then another backflip with another full rotation. And she completes all of that with time to spot the ground and, and, it is rare to see her land short. If anything, she tends to land with so much power and so much force that she rebounds so far out of bounds, <laughs> which is a deduction. Um, but watching her last <laughs> night, she was she was spot on, man. Not a not a toe out of bounds. 
I want to go back to talk about how her story intertwines with the way that gymnastics is changing. Because it, it turns out one of the reasons perhaps why she's become so extraordinary is that she did not train exactly in the same way that everyone else wound up training. She, for instance, started quote unquote late at six years old. <laughs> and do you want to go over some of the other differences, but, but how she came up? Yeah. One of the, one of the beautiful things about Simone Biles being the most famous gymnast slash athlete in the world in the years since the Larry Nasser scandal and all of the conversation also around abusive coaching and that, that that's emotional abuse, that's physical abuse, psychological abuse, is that she became the greatest gymnast in the world a different way. You know, I remember talking to Coach Valcondos, uh, the former coach at UCLA, and she said, if anything should be studied in her story, it is her support system because they are the greatest support system in the world. And so this idea that you have to scream and yell and berate and belittle and break down an athlete in order to make them want to be great is just thrown out the window. You know, she had this incredibly supportive set of parents. She had a coach who had never coached an elite gymnast who was not vying to become an Olympic coach and protected her. The first time Simone was invited to a training camp at the Caroli Ranch, Marta Caroli just railed her. You know, all these other coaches were like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. She did such a great job. She has so much power. She'll rein it in. And, you know, Simone was bubbly and giggly and liked to talk to everyone. And that was not how Marta ran her gym. And Amy, in consult with Simone's parents, decided to keep her out of the next camp. They declined the next camp. And in retaliation, Marta said, well, then we'll see you later. <laughs> and she wasn't invited back for more than a year. But Amy will say if she had taken her back that next week and she had been subject we, you know, month after month to that same treatment, she'd be done. She'd be, you know, or, or she would be, you know, she had committed to UCLA. She'd probably be an incredible collegiate gymnast. We'd all watch her viral videos, but she would not be the Simone Biles we know today. And Simone has said, if I had that kind of coaching, I would have quit. You know, I'm not the kind of person that can, can deal with that. And so that next year was 2013. Simone starts winning everything. And of course, Marta can't deny talent. And she, and she is invited back. But as she won multiple world titles, you know, she had some power in that gym and so did Amy. And so she, Amy would say no when Marta said 10 more, even though your ankle's hurting or you have an Achilles issue. And when she went back to the gym, she was encouraged to be joyful and interact with her teammates. And she, even during that Caroli reign, was coached differently. Her parents, you know, her mom told me that she, you know, she did not like a lot of the rules. There was a very big rule that parents were not allowed to stay in the same hotel as the gymnast. And Nellie broke that rule. And because of all that support and because she was allowed to remain joyful and herself, we see this incredible gymnast. But it makes you wonder how many Simone Biles have there been with the talent, the body type, the want. And as Amy would say, maybe more success earlier. You know, Simone wasn't successful as a junior. How many 
incredible gymnasts lie broken along the path that Simone has taken, whose names we either don't know or we knew for a short period of time. So after 2016, she said she was going to take time off and a deserved break. People do whatever you want, queen. She came back. And I've heard her say in interviews that something that she takes a lot of meaning from is that she is one of the Nasser survivors out there competing, reminding people that it happened and that people survived. She is the only Nasser survivor who is still competing. And she 100%, she knows that she holds USA Gymnastics feet to the fire. She knows that while she's competing, even if she is unable to talk about it and it's mentally and, and emotionally really exhausting and taxing on her to do so, that we will write about it, that it will keep shining a light on the fact that the survivors still don't have a settlement. They still don't have answers. They still don't have what they feel is an independent investigation into who knew what, when, and why they did nothing. And so she is a constant reminder of both, like you said, it happened and we are not going to quote unquote move past it as I think USAG would like to do, but also that there is life and success and joy after something like this. So talking about Simone feels different to me than a lot of other things for some reason. It gives me joy to talk about her. You know what I mean? Like it's somehow meaningful. And I think it's for a thousand reasons. She's amazing. She's a person of color. She survived all this. She performs with such joy. You've been covering her. I wonder what it feels like for you. I mean, as you're asking me this question, you you can see I have a giant smile on my face. It, I feel privileged. Joy is a wonderful word. But I also feel privileged to have covered this era of gymnastics and Simone in general. I feel privileged to have watched her, you know, in Stuttgart at the, at the, 2019 World Championships debut that beam dismount I told you about to see the triple double in person to have watched her one more time in in St. Louis to have watched her and that incredible team in Rio it 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 is truly a privilege to share even you know that 1% of her story but I I I think joyful is the perfect term. You know, I mean, she that we did a, a piece one time and I think probably every outlet has done this where you count the number of giggles in a Simone Biles <laughs> interview. And I've seen some some quick cuts on Twitter where people just cut from giggle to giggle to giggle to giggle. And I think you have, you know, that the giggling is both because she is joyful. And I think it's also as as a um as a giggler myself, it is also, I think, a, a way you, you know, laugh through hard times and, and, and it takes a bit of 
toughness and and joyfulness to be someone who can giggle in the face of all she has been through. But, you know, you see or hear Simone Biles laugh and 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 when she does it during a routine, that to me is one of the most joyful things. And you see her land a triple double and not grimace in pain like I think the rest of the world would by even attempting something like that. She just has this massive smile on her face and yeah, if if that's what the Olympics is supposed to be about and those moments of bringing the world together and we all stop and hold our breath and watch these incredible athletes, you know, she, I am so glad she is the face of the, her sport and of the Tokyo Olympics. Another reason why I do feel like somehow licensed to be able to fangirl about her so much is that from what I see, again, as someone who's not like covering it up close, she's so good. She is so far above everyone else. No one's even mad. Like everyone loves her. <laughs> she 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 might debate you on this because certainly there are. There's, I'm sure, maybe there's, there's that, some exceptions. Yeah, there's that but, segment that you know we, we're going to hate the Yankees because they won too much. We're right. going to hate the, the Microsoft you know, Tom Brady. Yeah, I call it sometimes. One hundred percent. But within the sport everyone cheers for her. And part of that reason is not just because she is so good. It is because she is the most giving, caring. She is so supportive of the other athletes and, and that is her teammates at world champion center. But that also is for the other girls on the, on the national team. I mean, there is just story after story after story of how she lifts up the women around her and that is largely why she is she is so beloved within the sport. It is she she could be the best in the world and not have time for anyone else. And she just couldn't be more different than that. I mean, she takes so much time to teach and share and support and love the women around her. And yeah, I, I just I don't know that we will ever see anyone like Simone Biles again. You talked a little bit about the joy you get from covering her. I'm curious about what else you might have gotten out of covering gymnastics. It's been a journey, I would I would think as they as they say. Well, uh, you know, as you were asking that I was thinking, you know, at this the the flip side of the joy you get out of watching Simone out of covering Simone is the anger that fuels the work you're doing because if adults, the adults in the room, if the system can fail her. And, and again, I think this is why something she knows is on people's minds. If the system and the coaching staff and the adults in power can fail Simone Biles When she is gone and is not the face of the sport, what is going to keep this from happening again? You know, if, if what is going to keep the sport and the governing body in check? And so watching her and being so overjoyed and, and entertained and, you know, sort of filled with sort of love and euphoria and all the things that Simone Biles represents, I think fuels that angry questioning side of your brain that wants to make sure um, that 
people are held accountable and that this does not happen again. How has covering the sport changed you or taught you? Because it's like I said, it's there's been a lot. There's uh, the years of covering it just as with the abuse being kind of just a thing that happens right in the background. There's the Nasser experience, which was very triggering and traumatic for a lot of women who to just hear about. And then there is this joy that comes after that. But what has that been like for you? Well, I think the first thing that certainly the years after 2016 changed was the way I personally, as someone who is largely focused on the athletes and the telling of their stories and and the questioning and the scrutiny is largely placed on the performer. I, I believe I, I, I held a belief that especially in a, in a, a lot of the sports I cover are populated. The best in the athletes are very young. Mm. And, and I do believe I held the belief that the adults in the room care first and foremost about the health and well-being of children. And I no longer believe that. And mm. it has changed for me the way I look at all sports, cover all sports, the questions I ask, and and the way I hold myself accountable in, in the stories that I tell. And I think that's something that's happened for all of us. You know, I think we thought we were being vigilant. And under the noses of every journalist, every parent, every coach, the greatest abuse scandal in the, you know, in Olympic history happens. And so, you know, it's, <laughs> it's hard not to become cynical person a- after this. But the other thing that it has done is, you know, every conversation I have had with a gymnast over the past five years and certainly with the Nasser survivors has reminded me of the power, <laughs> the fierce power of a, of a, you know, of a woman, of a woman gymnast. I mean, all of the things that made these women the greatest in the world, they sort of realize, oh, wow, that same power I have within myself to change the world and to make this sport better for the next generation. And it has been such a privilege. I mean, working on that podcast was a great privilege of my life. And every athlete who agreed to an interview and agreed to sit down across from us and share their story changed me in some way, every single one of them. So we do, we talk a lot about self-care on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And a lot about, as corny as it sounds, believing in yourself, cultivating self-worth. And I think one of the reasons why gymnastics has become, again, so emotional for me, like I have such emotional investment in it, is that for a long time, gymnastics was the place that I started to feel bad about my body. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I think that's true for, yeah, for so many of us, <laughs> you know, and, and I think, it, and, and what I learned in those, in, in so many of those interviews, the gymnast, what was, one of the things that was very hard was the gymnast, these gymnasts that I grew up idolizing as a child, I am now sitting across from and hearing the same thing and, and not just their body, but they hated themselves you know it took them decades and they're still not there getting over the trauma of their experience as as you know and we're lifting them up on this pedestal and celebrating them and and behind the scenes they are not being treated as humans Mm -hmm. you know the sport broke a lot of people who are not famous and whose names we don't know yeah Uh, a lot of eating disorders began in gymnastics studios that among just young girls. But today, that's why I love it today. You know, it's changed. Like I, I can feel empowered by seeing those bodies. I know mine looks very different, (laughs) but to see young women who don't look like stick figures, who who take pride and joy in the power of their thighs and their shoulders. Like it's just an entirely different thing. I wonder if you, as a woman, does that also echo with you? Uh, Maybe just as a person too. It's not just women that have body issues. It absolutely does. I mean, watching, sitting at trials this year, there were so many things that felt empowering about cheering for all of the women who were competing for those four spots on the team and six spots overall. And yes, one of them 100% is looking at bodies and thinking how different they probably would have felt about themselves during the Caroli era and how emboldened they are by what their bodies can do in 2021. And also looking at we have our first Hmong American on the on the team. We have two black women. We have four Asian American women on on the alternate team. You know, this is a team that reflects what the country looks like, and it's all and it's a, a group of bodies that reflect what you know an athletic body looks like. And they are women who use their voices. I mean, to think pre twenty sixteen that we live in a world where not only do gymnasts tweet out about their social life and the food they're eating, but social justice and speak out in the wake of George George Floyd's murder and Morgan Hurd, who is a Chinese American adoptee and the 2018 world champion has a megaphone and a bullhorn and is standing in, in, in New York city at a, at a rally in the wake of anti-Asian hate crimes. I mean, it is a different world and they all empower me completely. I mean, they are gymnasts who I want my nieces to hang posters of on their walls and want to be when they grow up. And it used to terrify me to think that they would want to join the sport of gymnastics. That's a great ending. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, this has been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. You are so welcome. I so appreciate you having me on. And this has been a, yeah, it's been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. 
today on With Adorables Like These, you'll hear from the sensitive one of the Pod Save America boy band, Tommy Vitor. Tommy is going to tell us about his living bath mat dog, Luca, and maybe break some news about a possible second adorable coming into his life. Tommy? Hello. Tommy, we'd like to talk about your adorable. Thank you. I'd love to. Could you tell us your adorable's name and describe your adorable? I own a uh, 25-pound bath mat with legs named Luca. Um, She's a little brown, graying labradoodle dog. She is the only thing on the planet that can jump in bed at 5 a.m. and decide to uh, slap her paws on my face, and I find it cute instead of enraging. Is there a story behind Luca's name? Uh, the story is my wife thought it up. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> my wife Hannah, I think she knew a dog named Puka, and somehow it evolved to Luca, which is an Italian man's name, and she's a girl dog. So yeah. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But Gender you know, over is a time, construct, Tommy. Like uh, uh, yes. It is. It is indeed. And also, it's a dog. But yeah. um, yeah, we've had a lot of like, we've had, a, my family's had a lot of animals over time. Luca's the most sort of like serious sounding name. Usually like we had a cat named Mouse. We had a, uh, a dog named Fred. <laughs> a, lot, a dog named Bear who just passed away. Very sad. I miss him. I know. It's very sad. Yeah, those are all animal names. Yes, those are like clearly well, except animals. Fred, I actually really like it when people name animals like just some very normal sounding human name especially a guy's too. name. I, I always thought, some friends and I always joked that like, it would be really funny to give your dog like a famous full name, like Oprah Winfrey. Or like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? It's my dog, George Bush. So I encourage you, if you, you're next adorable, and I believe everyone should have more than one. So we, Hannah and I have been looking, I have in my head, because I, so I have a cousin named Wendy Button, who is a saint, um, and one of like just genuinely great people I've ever met. And one thing she's done several times in her life is adopt an adult dog and kind of give this dog like the best years, eight to 10 you can possibly do. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot and looking a lot and following a lot of um, local LA shelters. And it's just, a, you know, as you know, it's a very personal question about like where you are in your stage of life and timing and what makes sense for you. And so we're, we're thinking about it. That's great to hear. Like with friends like these exclusive. (laughs) Breaking. Considering. Considering a second adorable. (laughs) Considering a second. So there's sort of a combined question coming up, Mm -hmm. um, which is, is there a cause that Luca would support? Combined with, does she have a voice that you would be willing to do? And you could see, you could say the cause in the voice of Luca. Our, for some reason, <laughs> my wife and I kind of give our dog like kind of this like sad sack, like what was me? We're like, um, I think you guys meant to give me some of that uh, salmon. You know, sort of like that kind of shit, which is not really creative in any way. The place I've been looking at uh, for all these senior dogs is called A Purposeful Rescue in Los Angeles. They're a 501c3 rescue organization. Travis Helwig, uh, 
of crooked fame recommended them to us because I think that's where he got one or both of his pups. Um, so that's a wonderful organization you could look up on Instagram, give them a follow. And they also will like, you know what's nice on his, it's all like rescue dogs. And they'd be like, this is Patty. She has lost mobility in her back leg. She needs this medical care. Venmo is open if you want to like mm. chip in for the surgery, you know? Yeah. And I great. will uh, admit to having uh, opened the app, cried, shot over a quick uh, 25 bucks or whatever. And, and you know, makes you feel better. Tommy, you're a softie. <laughs> I know. Like, I mean, that is what I love about you. But like in the boy band of Pod Save America, you're the sensitive one. <laughs> who is the sensitive one? So in, in, in sync or like, who is the insensitive one? The sensitive one? I yeah. don't know. I'm not super familiar with boy bands, but I believe there's like the hot one, the sensitive one. Yeah, there's definitely like the emo guy. Yeah, yeah the emo one. You're the emo guy. Thank you. Yeah, like band. JT would just kind of be like the uh, uh, the fuck boy kind of jerk, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. So I'll, I'll write him off. I'm going to push you just a little and maybe you'll give us that rescue organization's name in the voice of Luca. Um, it's called a Purposeful Rescue. It's a nonprofit organization in Los Angeles. Five hundred one c three rescue that loves the underdog. They <laughs> back in my voice. They they recently uh, rescued this pup named they they call her Fast Patty, and she was found just in horrible conditions, sort of lost the back half of her legs. And I think they really specialize in helping dogs that have are immobile regain mobility through like wheels and sort of like special harnesses and stuff. And it's just the sweetest thing you've ever seen. I really hope to meet your second dog someday. Thank you. And we'll have you back on. Thank you. He or she would like to meet you as well. You just got to get, Hannah's like, let's pull the trigger. And I'm like, let's be practical. And you know, that's where we're stuck. Thank you so much, Tommy, for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is genuinely going to be the best part of my day. So I appreciate it. And that is it for the show. I'm going to keep this outro short because you know what? I think Alyssa really stuck that landing. Take care of yourselves. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Ah, what the... Is there a door behind all those spiders? <laughs> it's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. <sighs> Look at how many spiders there aren't. Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax. You booked a Verbo. 